0: This is Sandy Clough and Sean Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. I'm Sean Tar, Sandy Clough. On my left, Danny Bailey in the booth. Got a big show for you today. Super Bowl 35 winning head coach Brian Billick will join us in just a little bit to talk about the, uh, the Broncos situation and the NFL at large, but we'll start with the Colorado Avalanche who... Uh, beat the Ottawa Senators, as one would expect. Ottawa is not a very good team, Sandy, but at the same time, it took the Evs more than a little while to get going. They score four goals in that third period to win seven to four uh, over at altitude. Of course, the game. Katie Goss, a friend of the program here, had an opportunity to talk to um, defenseman slash forward Sam Malinsky after the game about how the Avs came back to win sam your third goal with the avalanche but your first career game winning goal and you showed great patience tell me about that play yeah i mean we just kind of moved the puck around pretty good i thought we got him running around goalie was kind of swimming in his net and uh yeah woody had a good good screen in front and just kind of got down and uh fortunately it went in
1: 11 different
0: players, I think, on the roster tonight getting points for unanswered goals for you guys to get this victory. It felt like this really was a full team effort. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we went down uh, a couple goals there, but we stuck to the process, uh, stayed with our structure, and um, that's what happens, I guess. So uh, just a great team win all around and on and getting stronger as the game went on. What did you guys do to support him more in that third period? Uh, yeah, I thought he played great. He made some big saves for us. Um, I guess we just kind of tried to be strong defensively. There was a few breakdowns for sure, but um, you know he had our backs and a uh, great win for him.
1: A solid victory. Congrats on the game winner. Thanks, Sam. Thank you.
0: Sam Walensky with a goal and an assist. As you heard, 11 players with the ABS gaining points. Uh, Eustace Ananen, normally when you give up four goals, you're thinking the goaltender didn't have a good night. But then again, the ABS will have 40 shots. So 36 saves, a save percentage of an even 900 for Ananen. Mixed feelings on this one. The Avs score seven. That looks good. There were things to like. Uh, Miko Randon had two goals and Nathan McKinnon had two assists. But this is a team that the Avs are supposed to absolutely steamroll back up, goalie or not. Yes. And
2: you know, when they're down four two and score actually five unanswered goals after being down 4-2 to win 7-4 in the last 23-42, it's it's more of a sigh of relief. Mm -hmm. Losing on back-to-back nights to Montreal and Ottawa uh, would not have been necessarily disastrous, but uh, not what they had in mind starting this road trip when they got out of Toronto with a come-from-behind win. And uh, the Avs now, uh, here's the good news, have six multi-goal comeback wins this year that is tied for first in the NHL with Dallas, and Dallas is one of the teams they came back against Mm -hmm. from three goals down a couple of months ago in Dallas. That's the good news. Uh, The bad news is that they found themselves behind 4-2 to against a bad team. And that deficit came out of a 1-1 first period, I believe.
0: Correct. It was And the after second the period has
2: usually been a pretty strong period for the Avalanche. It was not particularly strong last night. And 40 shots on goal is way, way, way too many shots to give up to a team that doesn't average anywhere close to that. Um, uh, they were, uh, beaten badly on face-offs last night, but did come back to win the game by, by three goals. And, uh, you know, I, I thought their commitment was better, but they're, they're a little shaky yeah. right now They they really are. And, uh, I, I thought, uh, lines two, three, and four, um, uh, there at least was some production. Uh, O'Connor played well, I thought, with two points. Wood had a two-point night back in the lineup right. with a goal and an assist. And you heard
0: Malinsky mention him screening as well yep. on, on his goal. Yep.
2: And uh, you know they, they they were scrappy, but boy, it is it ever a patchwork lineup. You, you've got McDermott uh, and Poland on your fourth lines when at the beginning of the year you had Cagliano and O'Connor. Yeah.
0: Poland, by the way, scored a goal Poland in this game. Poland did score.
2: Olsson had an assist on the goal by Poland, and it was a nice play uh, at the uh, Ottawa blue line. Uh, McDermott played well and a little more than he usually plays, more than seven minutes uh, last night, and you know, Taves and McCarr were fine. Uh, first line was was very good. Uh, Colton played for 17 minutes, 27 seconds, centering the second line and was a plus two. So uh, there were some things to take out of it, but right now, um, uh, every game is nip and tuck. And the, it's going to be that the way challenge
0: there. I mean, uh, one of the good things out of it, knowing that you have a Boston tomorrow on the, on this road trip is the fact that, some of the minutes were down. I mean, McKinnon and, and Rantanen got over twenty-two, but it wasn't some of those crazy, outlandish numbers we've seen of late uh, on, on the defense. McCarr had twenty-three and Taves had twenty-two, but nobody else really was significant minutes. Sam Girard, by the way, first star of the game with three assists. And eight, he was the best player. In eight the Aves. points by defenseman, but you brought it up after the loss previously, and the Avs seem less willing of late and it's, it's something that Jared Bednar hinted at, and Devon Davis did too, the Avs aren't winning the puck battles. The Avs don't yeah. seem, and, and that's a lot of that. Until is, they get behind. A lot of that is want to. Until they get behind. Really? I mean, yeah. you're talking about, you know, digging down low for the puck, digging in the corners, uh, making sure that you're in the fights to, to for those possessions. The, the, the Avs have kind of seemed a little bit passive, unusually so, I think. And I don't know if that has to do with as you've said, the patchwork lineup or the fact that it's just this time of the year about the halfway point they're They're looking forward to a little rest, but that has really been a problem. A- and it hasn't been something that we've seen this year. They have generally pretty good at puck possession, definitely good at fighting in the corners. But in these last handful of games, they have really looked tentative at it. And I can't put my finger on why. Well, uh,
2: you know, injuries are never an excuse and. Certainly, they weren't even last year when the Avalanche actually had more injuries. But at the moment, you're skating without Lackanen, who will probably be back fairly soon. We don't know exactly when. It may or may not come on this road trip. Uh, Nishushkin, I think you have to block out for the next six weeks. Uh, That's basically how long Gerard was in. The assistance program that the league conducts that's a degree of muscle and and skill uh particularly in the penalty kill uh which to me has been substandard for a while uh Lekinen and nishushkin are two of their three best penalty killers i think o'connor's in there cogliano's probably in there in the top four among penalty killers but uh, at least the forward tandems uh, that are used to kill penalties. But it's the puck management that is mystifying. I I agree. uh, And that they aren't better at that uh, unless the top five guys are on the ice together, which does happen, but you know, this is hockey and you probably get that for 18, 20 minutes a game with those five on, on the ice together uh, at most. What do you do with the other 40 minutes? And the abs are playing sections of games and sometimes meaningful sections of games as well as they ever have. And bottom line is wins and losses. And the abs have taken an eight out of 10, but last night's victory was an uncomfortable one. Yeah. uh, As you reviewed it after the game, Uh, because for every positive feature, there was a negative, and again, they've given up a lot of goals. Yeah, uh, and and I, I, Ananen seemed to get better as the game went on. Uh, Katie was right about that. Thirty-six saves out of forty, in terms of save percentage, is decent. But four is too many goals, and forty is too many shots. Yeah, and that's you, the you get the Boston, a the team they beat uh, recently in Denver and uh, you know you're, you're hoping i think to get something out of boston maybe maybe an overtime point but with this lineup uh they, they don't, look don't like match the better up team well right now for sure against yeah. the best teams and they're struggling with some of the lower end teams
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh even on this trip now they've taken two out of three um the worst they can do is uh, split after the game in Boston. That's the worst they can do. So it's not bad, but it's not terribly encouraging. Winnipeg keeps winning. Uh, Yes, the difference is only one point, but what is it, three games in hand? Right. That Winnipeg has now? It's uh... (laughs) a... With a one point lead, right? So they're not as
0: close to first place. As when it, it's see. only it's only two, but you're right. But they are they are a point. Oh, no. They're a point down with the two Winnipeg's no, two games in hand.
2: No, you're right. You're yeah. right. You're right. Uh, no, wait a minute. 29, 13, and three for the. You get this right. That's forty five. Forty five. 10, and four 43. is forty three. Because Winnipeg yeah. one last two
0: two, game, two uh, games two games in two hand games and a lead
2: and a one point.
0: Yeah. Right. I do You're wonder right. if fatigue has something to do with this because when, when you look at that particular game, uh, obviously, when you look at the five on five for for the abs, that, that top line did have two goals, but it also gave up two goals. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, yeah,
2: I mean, Duran was a minus one. Yeah. Uh, Ranton, a plus one. McKinnon, a plus one.
0: The, the shot attempts for that line in five on five, 19. The shots attempt allowed, 20. Yeah and that to me because we know that the especially McKinnon and Rantanen are responsible enough on defense that to me I sort of attribute it times to maybe fatigue because uh you get into some of those more advanced stats there the the unblocked shot attempts allowed by that top line 16. 12 for yeah. them uh it's it's been kind of of a, of a a tough pull here and yeah they need that offensive top line but you ride them too hard, and they're the ones and you'll lose surrendering defensively. And, and so, I think managing that is is going to be a challenge. I mean, it, it, it is what it is. If you're if you're the ABS, there's only so much you can do. You have to go into this and, with the, with the guys you have right. available. And,
2: and it, you know, I know it isn't a big uh, travel issue when you're talking about Montreal and Ottawa, right? But it's back to it back nights. Back to back nights, and they rode them awfully hard on Monday night and lost anyway. Uh, Their minutes last night weren't unreasonable, but there may have been a carryover effect from the night before. And, you know, they're so skilled offensively, what you get last night, four uh, points from that line. Uh, The two assists from McKinnon, the two goals from Renton. But if you have some carryover from the night before, it's going to show up in your own zone. Yeah. And and they looked at it at the start of the game. You know, your your defensemen aren't solely responsible for the 40 shots on goal. Um uh, they have something to say about that, but again, the defensemen were forced to produce big numbers offensively last night.
0: The Avs will take on the Bruins tomorrow as the road trip continues. At a certain point, I guess a win is a win, and the ABS have one way or another one, four of their last five. We'll keep track of it, but we'll turn our attention to the NFL as the division round comes up upon us. And the Denver Broncos, who better to talk to than Super Bowl 35 winning head coach Brian Billick? I can't think of anybody. We'll have him next on Miley Sports. Sandy Cuff and Sean Trotar. Presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Welcome back to the show. Always delighted to be able to talk to our next guest. you become a smarter fan just by listening. So uh, welcome to the show, please. Super Bowl winning coach, Super Bowl 35 with the Baltimore Ravens, Brian Billick. You can find him on social at Coach Billick. Coach, thank you for uh, taking some time to join us today uh, we'll start with the Denver Broncos of course who now find themselves in the market for a quarterback once again as the Russell Wilson Sean Payton relationship falls apart if it ever was there to begin with can you talk us through a little bit of that process of working with quarterbacks trying to find the right guy in the relationship that head coaches and quarterbacks need to have
1: well, it's job one, isn't it? Because this, this is a league of quarterbacks, as we all know, and you and you've got to have you're either, you're one of two types of teams. You're the team with a quarterback, or you're not. And if you're not, <laughs> you got no you got no chance of winning. Right. Uh, the difficult thing is that that even if you have the high draft, uh, uh, history has shown it time and time again. It's a it's a fifty fifty crapshoot. I don't yeah. care who you are, who it is. You take you take a quarterback in the first round. You got a fifty fifty chance of it being a bust, and that's tough. Uh, no one has uh, the absolute formula that this is going to have. You pay your money, you take your chances. Sean Payton has obviously got a lot of history, uh, but he's a perfect example of the 50-50. You know, he he, he, get, he bet right when he had Drew B. Yes. Uh, yes. And it worked. And and when he was thinking Russell Wilson could be the answer, then uh, you're on the backside of that 50-50 equation. So that really is the challenge for them. Uh, there seems to be some viable options this year in the draft. Uh, but clearly, that's got to be job one, uh, whether it's through free agency or through the draft.
2: The difficulty, of course, uh, with the draft, as far as Denver is concerned, is that they don't have a second-round pick. They have picks in every other round, but only a total of six. You, you would have to think, wouldn't you, that a trade-down the first round pick at number 12 overall is more likely than a trade up given the dearth of draft picks they have this year.
1: Yeah. Not having that second round, which is part of the coin of the realm in yep. terms of what it takes to move up. Yeah. Uh, if you don't, then you probably have to leverage and mortgage something in ensuing years more than you want to give up. So you're right. Uh, But moving back, is is, is, there's no guarantee there either. When you're talking about moving back into the team to try to get that guy, um, you look at the history of the draft, and those guys that fall to those positions usually fall, and they're not early draft picks. They fall for a reason, and a lot of Mm teams pass on them for whatever reason that may be. So yeah, there's some hits in there at the number twelve Patrick Mahomes, I think, was the tw- uh, number twelve pick. Yeah. Ben Rompusberger, yep. But that ten plus, there, there are a lot of misses in there as yes. well. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's a tough dilemma. Do you mortgage even more than you really mm-hmm. want to to move up? And, and and to move up to get what? And what are the odds? Like I said, it's 50-50 that moving up to get one of those guys that it works. So it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough calculus but it's one the organization has to make. And and obviously, Sean Payton is going to be in the middle of sizing up these quarterbacks. Uh, And and maybe you look and see that there's maybe a value in taking one of these guys in the second round. It doesn't increase your chances of of him hitting. It's just there's less pressure in taking a guy in a second-round pick because now you haven't missed on a first-round quarterback.
0: Yeah, and that's an important part of this equation, too, because conversely, let's just say and let, let's throw the names hypothetically in there. We know about the top guys. Let's talk about, say, Bonix and, and Michael Penix Jr. And, and J.J. McCarthy. Those are the players that may be available if you're Sean Payton and you're the Denver Broncos and you like one of those guys. And now the expectation is that they'll be picked somewhere in the second round. Yeah, you can get into that second round. But at the same time, how does this really work? when you're thinking of evaluating a player. Because there is a, a, a thought process that says, uh, okay, maybe everyone else has, let's say, bonix as is a second-rounder. But if you're the Broncos and you trade down in the first round to, say, get down to the 28-29, if you like your guy and believe in your guy, who cares where everyone else ranks them, right? You need to have the faith to go pick your player.
1: Yeah, plus you have to know the market. It's like uh, trying <laughs> to time the market. Yeah. The mm-hmm. stock market. Yeah. That That usually doesn't turn out well. So you either have the conviction that, yeah, this is a guy, and, and if you have that conviction and you have to make that choice, then you do whatever you have to to go get it. Uh, by the same token, you know, if, if you're going to run the bet that, well, we think there's some holes here, and the rest of the league sees that, so we can get a value in waiting for him uh, maybe into the 20s, um, that's, a good, that's a good strategy to have if, indeed, it holds up. But by the same token, that's also telling you, well, then there's holes with this guy's game that the reason you believe he can fall to that. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's damned if you do damned, if you don't. So it's not an easy decision to make. Is
2: there right now in pro football, in your view,
1: a model
2: organization, nobody does everything right. Everybody makes mistakes But is there one, maybe more than one organization that you can pinpoint and say your old organization, for example, Baltimore, when you were working with Ozzie Newsom, I know it's a different regime, obviously very different now from where you were there. But you always had the feeling that you guys weren't immune to making mistakes, but you got it and you operated by common sense. You played the percentages. You were aware of your strengths, but also aware of your weaknesses too. Are there any organizations today, maybe Baltimore again is one of them, that's like that, that you could look to and say, hey, they know what's going on, and they get it right most of the time.
1: Yeah, it, it really it comes down to the trifecta at the top, the ownership, yeah. the general manager, and the head coach, and that has to be A solid, unified view of what it is you want to be as an organization doesn't mean you agree all the time. You're going to have disagreements like any family uh, and you'll scrimmage it around. But at the end of the day, that that you have a great deal of faith that of that trifecta, two of the three are going to be right on anything that (laughs) comes up. Right. Right, and you yeah. and you have that experience and that that fortitude. We had that in Baltimore, obviously, with with uh, Steve Buscotti and, and yeah. Ozzie Newsom. They have it now, obviously, with John Harbaugh. San Francisco, I think, obviously, yeah. John Lynch has been absolutely brilliant at the moves he's made, the strategic moves he's made there, and obviously in total conjunction with with Shanahan. Um, uh, and and so you look at you know Kansas City, obviously, Andy Reid has brought that. Yeah. After it being happens in Kansas City for a while between ownership, the general manager, and Andy Reid, they are on the same page and they work in a unified with a unified. That's the really thing. It's a unified vision that you see it the same way as to what it is you need to be good and, and functioning. I think the Pittsburgh Steelers have done that for years and years and years, as evidenced by the fact that they don't bail on coaches real quickly. They don't. They stick with that mm-hmm. and they fight through it. So yeah, those those are three model organizations. That other and and all you need to do is look at some of the others around the league, that and why they're perpetually trying to scramble around and find mm-hmm. the right coach or the GM is that 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 they don't they don't do it in a way where they have that unified vision at the top, and they're able to weather the storm and the, the the difficulties that come about.
0: Building that that culture that that trifecta you talked about, I think one of the challenges with the Denver Broncos may be that the fact that all three of those arms of it, as you spoke about, are all relatively new. Ownership for the Broncos is relatively new. Sean Payton just completed his first year. George Payton hasn't been around all that long. How quickly can that come together when everybody is new and trying to, to forge one singular vision?
1: Uh, it, it can be, but it's but it's a, it's a work in progress, and, and, and it's like a marriage. You never assume, okay, now we got it. Now we're good. Hmm. I mean, you you, you got to constantly work at that thing. And, and it doesn't mean it can't come quickly, um, but it, it really, it's, t- it's till you get in that forge of battle and you go through the tough times and you stick together through that, uh, that you really don't know whether you're going to that organization or not. And right now, Denver's probably right at that crucible, which the things we just talked about, about drafting the quarterback. This is going to challenge ownership, the general manager, and the head coach. To, to have a unified vision for first. What is it we want in the quarterback? What is it we need? Yes, you want talent, I get that. And and we obviously want a high character guy that's a smart yeah, we want all those. But but what is it what's the criteria? Do we agree on the criteria yeah. of what it takes yeah. to be a great quarterback? And can we stick to that and not chase it if we if, if we're not sure it's there uh and, and identify it if it does show up later. Uh, and take advantage of it. And so this is uh, this is going to be a real test for the Denver organization.
2: At least as a head coach, and maybe this is no issue at all, and, and feel free to <laughs> uh, tell us that if, if, if that is the case. But as it happens, and this is certainly not a criticism, with respect to Sean Payton, at least as a head coach, he's basically only worked with veterans. Even the one year without Breeze in New Orleans, He had Jameis Winston, uh, at least until Winston got hurt. And Winston is is certainly a veteran at that point, had been around had done some good things, done some bad things uh, at that stage. Um, Does that make any difference in your view that as it happens during his head coaching career, Sean Payton has never really up to now had to develop a young
1: quarterback? Does
2: that affect
1: your thinking? It possibly, you know. Certainly, he's capable of that. But I go back and remind you, Bill Walsh never took a first-round quarterback.
2: True. Uh, and a part True.
1: of that is, and Bill, I, I'll tell you for a fact, Bill said, you know, I, I he knew that even the Bill Walsh, it's a 50-50 crapshoot. Right. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to lose his guru card because you pick the wrong quarterback mm. <laughs> and miss on a first rounder. Yes. That you know, just I'm living proof of that. All of a sudden, you're the village idiot and you don't know anything about quarterbacks. Um, and so, yeah, that certainly can be a factor, um, and, and, and the time frame as well. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Sean Payton isn't capable of identifying what a good young quarterback is, and if one's available, going all in and developing. And it happens very quick. You look at what C.J. Stroud is doing in, in exactly. uh, uh, with Houston. It's a perfect example. Now, on the flip side of that, you can see who are the top picks. He, right, Bryce sure. Young. And, and Richards. Now, Richards, we, we don't know because he was hurt. Young looks like, you know, maybe not. So we're right back to that equation where, you know, it, it's a crapshoot. And and so uh, you, you believe, uh, you see a guy and you believe him, and he's going to be C.J. Stroud, then you're right. But you can see and believe him and know, know he's the guy, and he turns out being the other guy, that's, that's, uh, that's going to test you.
2: I ask you another question that I, I I know involves an experience you never went through uh, as a head coach. You were never out of the playoffs. I didn't know if it, even as an assistant you worked with Walsh. You, you were never out of the playoffs for eight years in a row. And I understand this ownership isn't a part of all eight years. I understand this general manager George Payton isn't a part of all eight years of missing the playoffs. And obviously Sean Payton is uh, only responsible for this year uh, and not the previous seven. But at least in this community, a kind of uh, air of doom and gloom has settled uh, over this franchise, unprecedented that a Super Bowl champion back in 2015 would miss the playoffs for the next eight years. It's never happened in the Super Bowl era that way. Uh, how, How do you block that out if you're an owner, if you're a GM? If you're a coach, you can't deny the reality of it, even if you haven't been a part
1: of it. Uh, no, but you have to recognize that that is a part of it. every coach. We're going through a whole bunch of hires here over the next month or so, and at some point in the interview, every single one of them will say, "Well, we got to create a culture." Yep. Uh, and 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 that that's that's a big deal. I mean, yes, you have to because obviously you're there because the the, yeah. the culture has not been good right. if you haven't won. But you look at a guy like Dan Campbell going to Detroit, and we all know Detroit. You talk about eight years of the playoffs, that's fine. You look at Detroit, that, that's been the black hole of the NFL. Sure. You, go, you, go, you disappear into Detroit, you just kind of disappear out of the stratosphere. Yeah, Dan Campbell went in and, and, and created and recognized, I've got to solidify a culture here because there's no basis. There's no one to lean on. No one can lean in that building going, well, yeah, this is how we do it because they've never done it. And so you, you have to establish that. It takes a while, uh, and, and, and the way you establish it is that first you have to have a very clear-cut idea, again, in that trifecta, ownership, general manager, head coach, what is that coach? Can we identify it? How do we identify it? What are the earmarks of it? And we've got to adhere to it and push it every single day within the building, not just the players, but the coaches, administrators, personnel people, but you have to have that clearly defined mission statement of what that culture is and not just, just, yeah, yeah, we want to win. We want, okay. Yeah. Everybody wants to do that. But what are, what are the tactics that go along with that? What, what, what are the specific things that we earmark that we're going to watch every day to make sure everybody in, in the building is adhering to that. You have to establish that first and, and that's clearly where they need to be. And then people will follow in suit and all of a sudden it'll change. Uh, and and but you, you're right. You can't, you can't just follow. Well, I wasn't a part of that. You know, I wasn't a part of those eight seasons. Well, no, but it's a, you know, a living breeding, the Denver Broncos were a living breeding entity. Yeah. And for the last eight years, it's been tough. So you you better address it. You better at least be mindful of it uh, rather than just say, well, I wasn't a part of that, so that's no big deal.
0: You have had an opportunity to, to face Sean Payton as a head coach. One time back in 2006, your Ravens beat his Saints 35-22, to 22, despite uh, Drew Brees throwing three touchdowns and nearly 400 yards. Uh, You guys picked him off three times as well. Sean Payton talks about uh, his offense with regularity and talks about how he needs to to acquire the players to run his offense. My question for you would be, uh, what is, is then as someone with first-hand experience, Sean Payton's offense? And what did you see in the Denver Broncos this year that he was not capable of doing?
1: Well, Sean, Sean didn't have the the time frame or or the players to right. And every every coach obviously yes, it begins with players. At the end of the day, uh, you need have good. You know, if I had a good players and a good quarterback, damn, if I wasn't a good coach. Uh, when I didn't have good players, then all of a sudden I wasn't as good a coach. But but particularly offensively, Sean and is known well known for. He's an excellent offensive coach. Uh, he's going to have diversity. He's going to throw a lot of different things at you that patented, you know, different formational and personnel groupings, one right after the other, to kind of keep you on your heels. There's a certain efficiency uh, in in Mm -hmm. what he did offensively, particularly the quarterback position, but still the ability to come up with a big play. Now, again, that's all patented around Drew Brees, and Drew Brees was those things. So, so, yeah, you know, obviously he's going to strive to try to build the same thing, the diversity in the roster that gives him that multiplicity, gives him a number of different options of different players. But at the end of the day, it's it, you got to have the quarterback that can tap into that and make that happen. So we're right back to square one is that the, the Sean Payton is an outstanding offensive coach when he has an outstanding quarterback, and he's able to make that happen. So that's the job one.
0: Coach, uh, you've been talking about Signal Relief for a little while. SignalRelief.com is the, the website there for folks that are dealing with uh, the impact of pain, and I'm, I'm saying that right now with a really stiff back. So I understand there's, there's value in it. Uh, can you tell people a little bit about a Signal Relief that, that uh, they can understand that this may be helpful for something for a long-term management of pain?
1: Yeah, I'm excited about this product. You know, I've spent an entire career watching thousands of athletes dealing with pain on a daily basis, right? Uh, so that they could get back on the game. And uh, likewise, I have countless numbers of doctors, orthopedic surgeons, physical therapists that at some point have all used the, the term motion is lotion. And that's the key with whatever pain you have. The key is to mitigate that prohibitive pain to get back to moving and, and putting that motion or lotion to your motion. That's where the real rehab comes from signal relief is a unique product uh this is this is the thing i love this thing it's it's not a, a, a an icy hot it's not a tens unit it's no drugs no chemicals anything like that this is a patch that's based on electric waves because all pain is nothing more than electric signals in your body it, it's an antenna that reduces the signal from the pain we say put it between the pain and the brain that allows you to do those other things to work through it and that's really the secret of this thing it's it's reusable for a year so it's very economical uh you put it where you need it that's the key if i 18 holes of golf it's going on my lower back i get out of the pool it's my shoulder it's my upper back and it's 100 percent guaranteed if if you don't like it you can send it back so this is this is the real deal people need to check it out it's just what you need to deal with that prohibitive pain that allows you to do the other things to continue to work your joints and muscles, which is where the real rehab comes from.
0: You can find that at signalrelief.com. And there's a promo code, of course, with coach Bill, just enter coach and you get 20% off your order there. So check them out at signalrelief.com. It's a terrific idea for pain as, as the coach explained there and very easy to use. And the idea, like you said, it's not, not cream. It's not tens. It's basically just a patch. You stick it on there and, and away you go. So, Appreciate that. And coach, thank you for the the, the time today. It's obviously interesting to get the, this insight because the Broncos, uh, as Sandy pointed out, no team has ever won a Super Bowl and then gone this long without making the playoffs. And now back into the quarterback carousel, it's hard to believe that it's going to happen next year in an AFC where Cincinnati and Joe Burrow didn't make it because of injuries. Trevor Lawrence and the, uh, the Jaguars didn't make it. I mean, you talk about some of these teams, uh, Justin Herbert, the Chargers didn't make it. They're not going anywhere either and they have quarterbacks. And as you said, in the quarterback business. That's the NFL. Well,
1: it's life in the big leagues and it's why he makes the big bucks.
0: <laughs> yes, indeed. Coach, really appreciate the time. You can follow Coach Billick's on social at Coach Billick. That's easy enough to remember. And you can also check out his website at BrianBillick.com. Appreciate the time, Coach. It's always fascinating to have an opportunity to talk to A guy that's won a Super Bowl, and he brought up an interesting point, that, of course, you're there because the team wasn't good. That's how you got hired, right? Otherwise, the job's not open. Brian Billick won Super Bowl 35 in his second season with Baltimore in in 2000. Now, he also had the players. The Broncos right now don't for Sean Payton, and the Broncos are not going to win the Super Bowl next season. Spoiler alert. They're just trying to get back to respectability. The roster turnover that is about to happen is very difficult. We talk a lot about the quarterback position, and rightly so. We talked a little bit about it yesterday with Cortland Sutton. Cortland Sutton is almost certainly going to be asked to reduce his contract. The Broncos are kind of on that bend at the moment. Cortland Sutton, who had 10 touchdowns this year, has no reason to say, sure, because you let him out in the market, there's a guy that's not even 30 and just caught 10 touchdowns this year. Teams will be delighted to take him. The Broncos are in a situation where they sort of acted as if they had the upper hand with Russell Wilson, but it turns out they didn't. Russell Wilson fired, filed the very correct complaint with the NFLPA. Russell Wilson is not going to accept a trade. He's going to force the Broncos to, to cut him and buy him out. Cortland Sutton could be in that position too. The Broncos look at this right now, the way they turn around their roster and think, well, Who do they have the upper hand with at all? With free agents, you're you're trying to ask a team to join an AFC West that is still run by the Kansas City Chiefs. Perhaps Bill Belichick may be ending up, or Jim Harbaugh ends up with the Chargers.
2: Harbaugh perhaps more likely to join the AFC West than Belichick at this point. The the, the Raiders finished ahead of them. Harbaugh, yes. Uh, Harbaugh did well in San Francisco. Quarterback whisperer. They
0: have Justin Herbert. Yes.
2: And... You know, with all due respect, I, I think Colin Kaepernick was always a better quarterback than people imagined, and it was Jim Harbaugh who picked him over Alex Smith yes. at a time when it would have been easy and certainly more conventional to stay with Alex Smith. They seem to be building and improving every year. Nope, he made the change to uh, Kaepernick. But I they, dare they say up in the that if he ends up with the Chargers, you've got Herbert, who's a hell of a lot better than either one of those
0: two. Yes, absolutely. So the where do the Broncos really have leverage? I mean, what what's the yeah. selling point, not only to, to players outside the organization, but to players within their organization, like a Cortland Sutton, Yes, uh, that unless Cortland Sutton's people talk to him and said, like, look, I have a deal for $13 million next year. The Broncos say, we don't want to pay that. Cortland Sutton simply says, they've got me. Right. Right. No,
2: it, it's, to me, I... I over the years, have tended to side. I, I think you have too with players. Yes, especially in the NFL, players win games because the players win games, and almost always the team has leverage. Almost always mm-hmm. in football, the team has leverage. But now maybe the pendulum is swinging the other way, and there are certainly instances. Even with Russell Wilson not performing all that well over the past two years, he has leverage. Yes. He has leverage. The Broncos gave him this contract that makes it almost impossible or seemingly from a financial point of view, almost irresponsible to let him go after two years. Of course, they didn't expect that he would perform in the manner he has over the last two years. They thought it'd be much better. They thought, I think at the beginning, they really did think, well, maybe not in both years, but one of those two years. We're going to be contending for a spot in the Super Bowl, and they weren't even really contending no. for a spot in the playoffs. No. Back to the old Jim Moral line, which I understand right. is now back coming back in commercial it's form, back, baby. Good, good for, for Jim.
0: Yeah, good for Jim. Good for but, Jim.
2: Yeah. Uh, playoffs. Uh, they're in a position where their most prominent offensive players, maybe yes. not their best ones. But the most prominent ones are Wilson and Sutton. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And they have all the leverage. They have all the leverage. So uh, you've got six draft picks. Right. You've got salary cap issues. I don't care how rich you are. If you got
0: the cap is the cap
2: Wilson, if you release him. And you're still, no matter what your disposition is regarding Russell Wilson, you're looking for a quarterback. Yep. You still don't have one. You know more. In fact, I would argue that Trevor Simeon going into 2016 was more qualified because he at least had been around the system Mm -hmm. the previous year. Now, other than a kneel down in a game in Pittsburgh one day in 2015, he didn't play, but he knew the system. At least. I mean, is Jarrett Stidham, Trevor Simeon? My opinion, Trevor Simeon in 2016 was better than Jarrett Stidham is likely to be in 2025.
0: Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. And and keep in mind if... if-
2: so they're, they're even worse off than they were
0: yeah. eight years ago. I mean, consider this. the The Broncos... Threw for twenty-eight touchdown passes, twenty-six of those by Wilson, two by Stidham. Receiving and rushing touchdowns for the Broncos, because we know they didn't score a lot on the ground. Twenty-eight. Russell Wilson threw twenty-six touchdowns, ten of those to Cortland Sutton. So consider this: if Sutton and Wilson are gone, that's thirty-six touchdowns overall. Taking you know, the thirty-six touchdowns that were that were scored. This Broncos team scored a grand total, a grand total, Sandy, of 54. You'd be losing 36 of those. And Adam Troutman, who had three touchdowns this year, and I'm talking rushing and receiving. Corlin Sutton yep. had 10. The next best was Brandon Johnson. He has one more year on his on his deal for 900000 Yeah. Adam Troutman had three. Free agent, unrestricted. Yep. Little Jordan Humphrey had three. Free agent, unrestricted. That's what the Broncos are facing. That's very likely the only people that have scored touchdowns that will be back, were Brandon Johnson with four, Jared Stidham, Javante Williams, Julio McLaughlin, and Jerry Judy with two, Marvin Mims with one. Maybe they decide to resign Lucas Kroll. You know That's what they the have entire sum total of Denver's offensive touchdowns last year.
2: They haven't faced the reality that. For eight years, maybe not every one of the eight, but for most of those eight years, they've been in a need of a full-scale rebuild. And they have been almost obsessively reluctant to use the term. And I know the idea of rebuilding in all sports now, you know, in effect, you're rebuilding every year. Right. You, You have...
0: NFL especially, like NFL about a, about especially. A, third, a little over a third yeah, of the rosters yeah, turned over right, every year.
2: Right. You're, 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 you're talking about a lot of change, but to, to face every problem and come up with only a patchwork solution. I mean, the, the, these, some of these guys who played for Peyton before, I mean, they're fine people, I'm sure, and they're decent players, but while they aren't terribly old, they aren't really young either. And ESPN today did a ranking of all the rookie classes, one through 32 in the NFL. Denver came in 31st out of the 32. You know why? Why? They had three picks in the first five rounds. That's why. And from the line of scrimmage, Mims until very late in the season wasn't playing much. Sanders was not playing much. And uh, listen, you had uh, Moss, who played again a little more toward the end of the year from the line of scrimmage, but not much at any point during the season. Skinner. Hardly dressed out, he did the last game, but hardly dressed out. Forsyth hardly dressed out either. He was a healthy scratch, mm-hmm. pretty much
0: throughout the season. By the way, Lloyd Cushenberry, the third, pardon me, is is an unrestricted free agent for the Broncos, right? Who are in cost cutting mode, not spending. Yes,
2: yes. So the Forsyth the they may need the, the only next year. team with a weaker rookie class was Dallas, mm-hmm. and that's because Dallas's personnel.
0: They were already was
2: so good that right. rookies couldn't crack the lineup. San Francisco came in number 30 uh, for the same reason. But you know what? Five of the top six in the rankings for rookie classes made the playoffs. And tell me that rookies didn't help in Houston, <laughs> Los Angeles, Rams, Green Bay, Detroit, Sam Laporta. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Jameer Gibbs. Yep. A little bit. Yeah, A right? little bit. And Tampa Bay was the other one. The only team that ranked in the top six that didn't get lifted into the playoffs was Chicago. And as the rookies got better in Chicago, the Bears finished the year about as strongly as any non-playoff team did. They look pretty good by the end of the year, a lot better than they looked at the beginning when they were blowing double-digit leads to the likes of the Denver Broncos within the, the first
0: month of the season. rebuild, and I think that's where we're kind of getting, the rebuild for the Denver Broncos is underway whether they like it or not. It's happening. The If I'm going to look at the bright side of it, it's that I suspect that Sean Payton knew that all along. And so the absorbing whatever dead money that they'll have, they'll end up absorbing, whether that's with Wilson or with other players that they may end up moving on from as well. To a certain extent, John Payton, I think, realized it doesn't really matter because this team's roster talent from 1 to 53 isn't going to be good enough to compete for a playoff spot realistically for a couple of years anyway. So we're going to be in stockpiling mode, even if the dead cap money is significant because the Broncos over the next two years don't have the talent to become playoff ready. They have six draft picks, six. They're not going to have a lot of of money for free agents. How realistically does this team get that much better next year? And and I don't necessarily have a problem with that, Sandy. I think that Sean Payton knew that coming in and understood in part of that. Russell Wilson is not my, my kind of quarterback for one, Yeah. but even beyond that, Russell Wilson isn't going to be able to lift this team to the playoffs by himself. So, Why bother? I'll go get my guy, whoever that ends up being, and and I'll go from there. But I want Broncos fans to understand what you broke down there with rookies, the realistic prospects going forward. The next two years, two, not just this, next two years, it's highly unlikely the Broncos make the playoffs. Other teams around them are going to get better. Other teams around them have their quarterback solution that they're not working on trying to build up. You're not grabbing a a Bo Nix or a Michael Penix and trying to coach them up and compete with the Justin Herberts and the Patrick Mahomes and the Joe Burrows and the Lamar Jacksons and the Josh Allens. I could go on and on. This is a full rebuild. The Broncos just aren't calling it that. And it's already underway. And I suspect that Cortland Sutton sees that writing on the wall, and that's why he wrote on his social media a couple of days ago what very much appeared to be a farewell index. Oh, I, I,
2: I took it that way. And and I know, you know people say, "Wow, well, you're reading too much into these things. But I can't imagine. And and Cortland Sutton has been here, what, five years, mm-hmm. I believe? What do you say to Justin Simmons?
0: He's been here Honestly, for a whole run. Eight
2: years. Eight, and he's been—if not for all eight years, then for most of them—Denver's best
0: player. Yeah. And pardon me, this is a sixth season for for uh, Sutton. Just well, going to... going into yes, no, he'll be going into his—he'll uh, be going into his seventh. He started in twenty eighteen, so six. Okay,
2: I made twenty nineteen was the big year. Right, right. Was right. the, it was 1, the it was a really year, big year, but it we'll was his second. So, uh, yeah, so six seasons right. already. Six percent. seasons. I mean, difference between six years of losing and. Um, Eight years, seven of which were losing years. Right. Uh, probably minuscule. I guess. <laughs> In terms blur, of the right? uh, psychological wear and tear, losing ways on you and losing big. I mean, I'm not talking about a succession of uh, when they played 16 games, seven and nines. I'm not talking about since they went to 17 games, eight and nines. Right. Uh, year after year after year. Uh, they finished eight and nine this year, mm-hmm. but they finished not on an upswing, on a downswing. It, it, it you know, McDaniel's first year, uh, in nine was eight and eight, the same as their record the year before with Mike Shanahan. Yeah. But you're uh, right. probably it's, a hall of fame coach. It's been a terrible right. stretch. But, five wins but, before that, that seven it, at five. Right. Ugh. But six and oh, was the start. No, nine. Right. That's People correct. don't remember six and oh, <laughs> they remember you lose eight out of 10 games. They right. remembered that at the time. And, Long time ago now is going back 14 years, but they probably, to the extent that they remember it, they remember more clearly the collapse at the end and starting six and zero and missing the playoffs. Who does that? Right now, if you start zero and six and win out eight out of ten, then 500 looks fine. Uh, maybe this year, if they had finished eight nine, but played a little better down the stretch than they did. Remember they were six and five at one point. Right.
0: Right. right. Coming So into- I, I, I,
2: it doesn't leave a good taste in your I mouth know. that they're heading in any kind of direction that you would view as a direction that would lead them to the playoffs, not just for next year, but as you said, the following year as well, that doesn't seem to be in the cards. Now uh, the Raiders, need a quarterback but they're in a similar drafting position to denver's mm-hmm. except they have more draft picks than denver has right and who's to say the raiders can't go and grab one of those quarterbacks they also maybe not one of the top three
0: cap space that's the other that's catch. the other the thing, raiders at the moment as the stands you know, have 43.4 million in cap space the broncos is it stands today right now or twenty five right. million over yes. the projected twenty twenty four cap, and so when you look at the dead money, the Broncos are a- as of today again. Russell Wilson's on the roster; they're sixth in dead cap money in the NFL. They will rocket. The Charges have the most to twenty four million. Wilson, even if you spread it over two years alone, will be more dead money than any other team carries in the NFL. Right, exactly right. And just to
2: bring this conversation back full circle it's virtually certain that wilson will not be back i'm thinking three to one against sutton coming back
0: i agree right it's not a certainty. personally i think he's already going to out the door i I mean 75 80 yeah i think it's yeah i think it's chance that he's gone agree would you agree yep Yep, absolutely. That's what you're talking about. 36 of the Broncos' offensive touchdowns out the window. That's more than half. They're in a tough spot. The Denver Nuggets are in a better spot, but last night did take a loss against Joel Embiid and the Sixers. We're going to join our friend Brian Blackburn to break that down and preview also, by the way, the game against the Celtics. Big games this week for the Nuggets next on Sports. Keep up with the changes. Punch that number.